0: Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our Greenbrier campus. Thanks for listening. So something you may not know about me, maybe you do, I have, I have three kids. I have... Uh, Two boys and a girl. My my boys are six and three, and they're at that age where they just want to do all the things that dad does all the time. And so, um, so whether that's going out on the kayak, I, I just recently bought a new kayak, and my son Dax, he's just been wearing me out, wanting to go out on this kayak with me, or or fishing. Whenever I'm fishing, just this past weekend, I was out fishing, and my two boys came down and asked if they could have a turn doing that, which. Uh, you know, fishing with kids sounds awesome, um, but it's just, it's not, right? Um, you know, I love them, but it's more work. I don't get to fish at all whenever they come do that, but I play along. I'm a good dad, so I, I do that. Um, at the beginning of winter, um, one day after church, we went home, and I, we had just leaves everywhere in our yard, and I, so I decided, I'm going to attack these leaves, and I'm, I'm going to get rid of them today. And so I went out, and I was working, and my son Dax, he's six, he came out. And uh, he was fired up to help, and he helped the whole time. It, it was, I was really proud of him, he was learning, he was, he was doing all the things. And, and so we raked them into these huge piles, and then I went and got the lawn mower with the mulcher and the bagger and stuff like that, and like, that's how we're going to take care of these leaves. And so I'm doing that, and Dax, he asked me, he said, Dad, can I mow, like, can I do this? And so I've got a picture of him here. I thought, you know what? This is probably a pretty good opportunity for him. You don't have to mow in straight lines or anything like that. Just mow over the leaves. And he thought he was big stuff, like mowing over these leaves. And for me, it was one of the happiest days of my life because um, from the moment I found out I was having a son, I had waited on this day, right, (laughs) where I could pass over the... Mower to him. So he's just all the time, he's at a cool age where he just wants to imitate dad all the time. So we're, do- we're gonna talk this morning about imitators in this new series. The word imitator may sound negative to us, it, ha- it may have a negative connotation to us, right? Where you sound like maybe you think of a copycat or a fraud or something like that. But what we're gonna see is that being an imitator is actually a good thing. And so we're starting a series this morning in First Thessalonians. And we're going to see imitating as a good thing. And what we're going to see is that as a church, we should be a people of imitators and examples. Imitators and examples. So if you have a Bible, open it with me to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, it's in the New Testament. It's a small little book. Um, comes right after Colossians. So if you see Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. First Thessalonians is right there, all right? As you're turning there, let me kind of tell you a little bit about Thessalonians or Thessalonica, the town that that they were a part of. It was, Thessalonica is the capital of what's called Macedonia. So it's this big region. Uh, Thessalonica was one of the most influential cities of the area. Uh, They say around 200,000 people called it home. And so at that time, this would have been like New York City. Uh, of the time. It was right there, it was a port city, it was, it was very popular, very influential. And so verse 1 of Thessalonians tells us that Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote this letter to the people um, there in Thessalonica. He wrote it with Silas and Timothy. Now it's important for us to hear that it is a letter, okay? It is a letter. A letter is something written from someone to someone. right. And so this is a letter written from a a specific person or, or group of people to a specific group of people in a specific place at a specific time. So in a lot of ways, we're kind of reading somebody else's mail. Right. And so that's that's kind of what we're doing here. This this book, it's estimated most people agree that it was written around 50 A.D., 50 A.D. And that's significant because that tells us that this is the first New Testament book written, which is interesting, right? This is the first New Testament book that was actually penned, all right, and so Paul is going to write this, and and so this morning, I just want us to introduce ourselves to these people uh, that we're going to spend the next several weeks with. Who are the people of Thessalonica, and what is this letter all about? So let's uh before we before we actually read i want us to want us to pray so i'm going to pray for us and as i do why don't you just pray for yourself that that god would speak to you in our time this morning so i'll pray and you pray god we just want to pause and just thank you for the work that you're doing here in our life thank you for this this church thank you for second baptist and god i pray this morning god that that through your word that you would speak to us and that you would challenge us and change us and mold us and make us more into the likeness of Jesus this morning. God, I pray that, that it would be nothing that I would have to say, but everything that you would have to say to us. So, so Holy Spirit, we're asking that you would come and that you would speak and that you would show us Jesus this morning. We love you and we're listening. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, 1 Thessalonians, let's, uh, let's read this together. We're going we're gonna to tackle all of chapter, chapter one this morning. So start in verse one with me. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, okay? Paul, that, that, that's also Silas, you may be more familiar with Silas and Timothy, that's the from, and then to, the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. Verse two, we always thank God for all of you, making mention of you constantly in our prayers. We recall in the presence of our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that God has chosen you because our gospel did not come to you in word only but also in power in the Holy Spirit, and with full assurance you know how we lived among you for your benefit, and you yourselves became imitators... You might just circle that word, became imitators of us and of the Lord, when in spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. And as a result, you became examples to all, all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place that your faith in God has gone out. Therefore we don't need to say anything for for they themselves report what kind of reputation or reception we had from you how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath all right <clears throat> so that's that's all of chapter 1 this is the standard introduction to a letter to a greeting that that Paul would have sent out. So we have this letter and verse 1 kind of breaks it down for us. It tells us who all is involved. Paul, Silas, and Timothy. That's the from. And then the to would be the church of the Thessalonians. To the church. Now that, that word church there is the Greek word ekklesia. And that word means an assembly or a gathering of Christ followers. And again, remember, this is the first New Testament book penned, and so this is the first time Paul ever wrote down uh, the word ecclesia, which would become what we call church. But who are these people, right? Who in the world are they? We're about to spend 12 weeks with them, and so I feel like it's appropriate for us to get to know them a little bit. Have you noticed recently how um, movie makers and things, they've, they've ran out of stuff to make movies about, so now they're just going back and making what's called origin stories? Right, going back and be like, you know that one random character? <laughs> well, let's give them a whole story, right? Well, we're going to see the origin story of these people in the book of Acts. Actually, in Acts chapter 17, we're told how this church forms. And so I just want to show that to you, Acts chapter 17. You can turn to it if you'd like, or it'll be on the screen for you. And I won't read it to you. But basically what happens, <clears throat> Paul and Silas show up in Thessalonica. They begin preaching in the synagogue which a synagogue is a Jewish gathering place, okay? So they begin preaching there, and he was preaching that Jesus was the promised Messiah. And he's preaching of how he came and how he died and how he had been risen from the dead. And the Jews became extremely jealous. That's what verse six of Acts 17 says. It says, but the Jews became jealous, and they brought together some wicked men from the marketplace. They formed a mob and started a riot in the city. At attacking Jason's house. They, they search for them, bringing them out in a public assembly. When they didn't find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers out and they were shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here too. So they're angry at Paul and Silas because of the message that they are teaching. They form this mob and they form a riot in the streets coming after them. And they accuse Paul and Silas of of treason against Caesar. That's what they were, That's what they were saying. Look at verse seven there on the screen, it says, they are all acting contrary to Caesar's decrees, saying that there's another king, Jesus. So they're accusing them of treason, going to get Caesar, saying that there's another king, and his name is Jesus. And so this mob, this riot, runs them out of town. It's pretty intense, right? And so in Thessalonians, whenever we hear Paul talking about severe persecution and the things that they face, well, this is what he's talking about. That they, that they were preaching Jesus and they got ran out of town by, by a mob, right? But there was a group of people who their lives were forever changed by what happened in Thessalonica. Look at, verse, look at verse 4. Some of them were persuaded. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, including a large number of God-fearing Greeks, as well as a number of the leading women. So there it is there is the ecclesia of Thessalonica being formed. These people who were persuaded by the gospel being preached and saying, okay, I, I'm persuaded. Jesus is king. He is Lord. And the church of Thessalonica is born. They go from hearing about him in the Jewish synagogue, right, to, to forming the Christian gathering, the Christian assembly, the ecclesia. Okay, so that's what, that's what happens here. But, but notice... It started, the church was formed with their salvation moment, that they were persuaded that Jesus is king, that he actually is the Messiah, the one who came to do all. And 1 Thessalonians 1, 4, Paul says, for we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Right? So they became Christ followers in this moment and the church is born. A church is not a building, it's not a place, it's a people gathering together. It's an assembly of Christ followers. And so they are, they are now persuaded they are Christ followers in this moment. And so the good news of the gospel is what? That Jesus came, that he lived a perfect life, that he died a death that we should have died, that he that He's risen from the dead after three days and he is Lord and King. And if we place our faith in him, he is faithful and just, he forgives us our sins, and we are now adopted into the family of God. It really is that simple. It really is that simple, that they were just persuaded by the good news of who Jesus was, and they became the church, the gathering of Jesus' followers. I think sometimes we, we may overcomplicate terms and, and ideas and different things like that. Are you persuaded to follow Jesus? Yes, well, then great. Welcome to the family, welcome to the church. It's, it's that simple. That's what we see happen here. So that's how the church at Thessalonica was formed. And we see in, in 1 Thessalonians uh, verse three, or I'm sorry, verse two, that Paul was proud of this church. That he says, we always thank God for all of you, making mention of you constantly in our prayers. So they are a church worth following. They're a church worth following, and, and they were a church of imitators and examples. Those are the two things we're going to look at this morning, imitators and examples. So first, they were imitators. That's what he says in verse 6. You yourselves became imitators of us and of the Lord when in spite of severe persecution, you welcome the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. So first he says you became imitators of us. Who's he talking about there? What's well, the first line? Paul, Silas, Timothy, like you became imitators of, of us. It was a collective effort. It was a group thing. And so as these new believers began to imitate Paul and the boys, their lives began to look different. They started to look differently. And he says in verse 3, we recall in the presence of our God and Father, your work produced by faith your labor motivated by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, when you started imitating us, your life started looking differently. And it looked differently in a few different ways. First, it looked differently by you had a working faith. That's what he says. You had a working faith. They had a faith that showed. They had a faith that, that was tangible. That people could look and say, You're, there's something different. You've been, you've been changed by this thing that you, you have been persuaded by. The things we do for the Lord don't save us, but they are a reflection of what the Lord has done in our lives, right? And so we work hard for Him because it's a visible testimony of the inward change that's taken place in our lives. It's a working type of faith. And just as the church in Thessalonica had a working faith, I think the same of our church. Whenever I think of working faith, I can't help but think of guys like Jim Duck and Ryan Chandler and Mike Vickers and David Matheny and Josh Ferris and Jackie Peterson and and all of these guys, Russ Burroughs, who show up early every single Sunday before some of us are even out of bed. And they start taking flags down to the road. They start setting up coffee. They start doing all of these different things so that we can come, so that we can gather and worship together, right? They have a working faith that is worth imitating, that they're working hard for, for, for the good of our church and for the glory of God, when I think of work in faith, I think of, of our, our amazing, talented musicians and worship leaders who, who put in hours every single week prepping and practicing and learning songs and things and coming early to, to sound check and make sure everything is, is good so that we can come in this room and have an atmosphere where we can worship the Lord. They don't do it for their own glory. They do it for the good of the church and for the glory of God. And that is worth us imitating, right? They have a working faith. The second thing that he says that they had is a laboring love. He said they have a laboring love in verse, verse three. These people had a deep and genuine love for one another. Like they genuinely loved one another. Jesus actually says in John 13, 35, that the way that people are going to know that you and I are followers of Christ is by how we love one another. Did you know that? by how we actually love one another, that, that's a testimony of, of the fact that we have been persuaded by him, that we are followers of him. The Greek word that, that Paul uses here is kopos, and, and that, that word for work actually describes a laboring type of love, a, a love that, that is not afraid of, of sweat or fatigue or weariness, that's what copos means. And, and so whenever he says that they had that kind of faith, he says genuine love is willing to go the distance, even to the point of exhaustion or weariness or, or sweat. Whenever I think of that in, in our church, I hear of that kind of gritty love, I immediately think of all of our amazing kidmen volunteers, right? You talk about gritty, gritty, tiring work. You put 20 preschoolers in a room, that's, that's chaos. Did you know that recently we've been averaging around 100 kids? That's bonkers for this tiny little space, right? 100 kids. And so we have these amazing volunteers who are willing to show up and do the work and, and leave tired and leave sweaty because of their love for the church and their love for God, right? And so just as a parent of three, just let me say thank you for for what you're doing there. Sarah Symer, um, our our children's minister, does a a fantastic job of organizing the chaos and and getting all the things figured out and places where to go. And and, and let me just say, she has this schedule built where you serve once a month. That's the goal. And, And so... It's, it's amazing to me, like I love walking by the rooms and yeah, I love seeing the kids and they're laughing and they're playing, they're having a good time, but I love seeing all of you like serving in there and, and serving those kids. And so she has a schedule built where once a month you get in there and you serve and you do, do the work and, and it is tiring, it's exhausting, and you'll leave tired and you'll, you might leave sweaty, but let me encourage you, follow the example, imitate those who are doing the work and jump in as well. Talk to Sarah, she will get you plugged in. I also think of, of all of our small group leaders, right, who open their homes, like they're planning, they're preparing all, all week. And then on Sunday afternoons, they go home and they clean their house uh, so that we can come over and so that we can study the word Together, I heard this week about the amazing job that, that Brittany and Steve Elder are doing in, in planning and prepping for their group and um, planning all of these different things. Like, that's a lot of work. That's a laboring type of love. Again, for the good of the church and for the glory of God. And so, friends, that is worth us imitating. That kind of example, that laboring love that we see out of, out of these people so they had a working faith, they had a laboring love, and third, they had an enduring hope. That's what he says in verse three, that they had an enduring hope. The, the hope that Paul mentions in verse three is the hope of endurance and perseverance. That they are ongoing. The Thessalonians had an unshakable confidence in the Lord. That no matter what would come up, they were, they were faithful to him. I mean, think about what they've experienced. Think about watching Paul, who started this church, ran out of town by a mob. And you have to imagine if they did that to Paul, what was their life like? It wasn't easy. And so they had this enduring hope uh, that, that their faith was just unshakable. Unshakable faith. When I hear that, I think of couples in our church who model this to me. I think of Spencer and Ashley Stanton who have faced just extreme um, health issues for a long time and still do today have more questions than they do answers as far as diagnosis and treatment and different different things like that but if you sit and you have a meal with them you're going to hear all about how the Lord has been faithful to them in this time you're going to hear about how the Lord has has strengthened them and grown them in their journey by walking through all of it I think of um Chad and, and Jay Stevenson and, and their story that I was recently able to hear over coffee with Chad and, and how their daughter, who at the age of two, was diagnosed with a rare form of lung cancer. And, and they battled that cancer for eight years, making trips down to Houston uh, for surgeries and treatment and, and different things. At one point, having to sign a, uh, a document for an extremely dangerous procedure that would take nine hours to save their daughter's life. But if you sit and you have coffee with them, you're gonna hear about how the Lord w- restored them and healed them and was there with them through the whole experience. <laughs> and now Harper, the daughter, she's 10 years old. Uh, she was told last summer that the doctor says, we don't need to see you anymore uh, because you're healed. And, um, and now she's in school playing sports. He told me, <laughs> he told me that she, um, Last week, she, she ran 13 miles an hour with one lung. And I'm like, I've got two lungs, and it's not happening, right? And so the Lord has provided. And so whenever you, whenever you are around these people and you begin to hear their stories, both of these families just model unshakable confidence in the Lord, regardless of circumstances. They have an enduring hope. And so we would do well to imitate that kind of enduring hope that they, they model. John sixteen thirty three. Jesus says, I've told you these things, in this world you will have trouble. You will, you'll have suffering, you'll have trials, you'll have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. See, our hope comes from him. Ultimately, he has defeated all the things of the world that get us down. But it's important for us to know that whenever we declare allegiance to Jesus, we at the same time declare war on hell. And when you declare war on hell, hell will fight back. And so it's not, gonna be, it's not gonna be easy, but we don't just curl up in a corner. We don't just hope things will get better. We press on with confidence of our living God, the assurance of our salvation and the certainty of our future in Christ. We too have this enduring hope that we go throughout this world with. Now, so they had a, a, a working faith, a laboring love an enduring hope. And, and what I want us to see in this is that discipleship, that's really what we're talking about whenever we talk about imitating, it's this big churchy word we call discipleship. Discipleship is a church thing. It's a church thing, right? He says, you became imitators of us in verse six. That's a collective. So discipleship is not just this one-on-one mentor type relationship. I know when I was in college, that was a popular thing. Like you need to have one person is just your mentor, they're pouring into your life, and, and and you need to imitate everything about them. And and that's okay, that's fine if you have that. But the problem with that is, is that we are all sinners, <laughs> and so we don't want to create little mini-me's who just do all the same things as us. Discipleship is a well-rounded thing that we as a church do together. That's why we need the church. That's why we need one another, we need to be immersed into an assembly, an ecclesia of, of Christ followers that are persuaded that Jesus is king. And we look around and the things of you that just scream Jesus, I need to imitate those things, right? That's why we do this. We need to be pushed by each other and our spiritual strength. So my spiritual well-being needs to be around Jim Duck and Clyde Hill Dispersion and Jimmy and Cindy Lampton and Donnie Wells and Jeremy Miller and Tyler Bass and Sp- Spencer Stanton, and so do you. We need the church. Discipleship is a church thing. But notice they weren't just imitating each other. Ultimately, they, they imitated the Lord. Did you see that? In verse 6 he says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. What better thing to be known, known for than to be an imitator of the Lord? So how did they imitate the Lord? That's the question. Verse six says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord when in spite of severe persecution. Remember in Acts 17 that they were ran out of town by a mob, that they faced this persecution. That's how we imitate the Lord. That's the context for both of them, but you know, Paul faced a lot of persecution. He was shipwrecked. He was jailed. He was stoned. He was uh, uh, snake bitten. He was all these different things. And Jesus obviously faced persecution. He was mocked. He was beaten. He was killed, right? And Jesus actually said that following him will lead to persecution several times. Matthew 16:24, Philippians 3:10, First Peter 4:13. All those talk about sharing in the sufferings of Christ. So get this, we best imitate Christ by facing trials and persecution in the right way. That life will get tough, but that's why we need the church. That's why we need the church and that's why we need Christ to imitate. And so that's the picture. We are looking at our brothers and sisters who are getting it right and we're saying, that thing, I'm gonna imitate that. Just as my son wants to imitate the things that I do, I'm gonna imitate that quality in you that I see that where you just scream out the name of Jesus. And as we are doing that, look what happens next. As we are growing and imitating each other Jesus, then what happens is we become examples. That's what he says in verse seven. As a result of you imitating, well you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. You became an example. Right, so this is what I would call the discipleship cycle. That that as they were imitating Christ and the godly example of others, their lives became something worth imitating. That's that's the plan. Their lives became the example that others were following. So you see how it's just this cycle and it's God's good design. Look at what he says in verse eight. The word of the Lord rang out from you. Not only here, but, but further than that. Right? What what he means by the word of the Lord there, that's the gospel message. And so he's saying the gospel message just rang out from you all over, further than you could even imagine that it would. The word that translates rang out right there could be translated reverberated, which is kind of this sound idea. So think about sound waves and how they just travel out and how they bounce around and bounce off of things and into our That's the idea, that, that the gospel message just reverberated out from them and outside of their influence. And so, in other words, Paul is saying that his preaching and gospel message in Thessalonica went out to the surrounding area in a way that he didn't even need to go to those areas. That's what he says, because their message had taken it out. The effects of the gospel did not stop with the hearers at the church at Thessalonica, it went out like sound waves from them. Their boldness and their example should challenge all of us, right? And so ask ask yourself this morning, what if somebody imitated you? What if they looked at your life and began to imitate the things that they see? Would the gospel advance? Would the gospel reverberate out from the example that you are setting? What kind of things would people pick up by by looking at you? They, These people here, they literally watched Paul and Silas ran out of town by an angry mob. But what did they do? They just turned up the volume. <laughs> they turned up the volume and let the gospel ring out loud and clear. So I told you at the beginning about my boys imitating me going, going kayaking or fishing or mowing, and but what I didn't tell you is where I learned those things. I learned those things from my dad. As we would go camping, and he's teaching me how to tie on a hook and how to, how to bait a hook or how to take a fish off, as he's teaching me how to, to mow uh, the grass. And then one day he just said, all right, son, this is your job now. <laughs> and it was then that I dreamed of the day that I would have a son to turn it over to as well. In the 100 degree Oklahoma summers, out, out mowing. See, we are imitating things and, and we are setting examples all the time. Sometimes good, sometimes bad. Parents, you understand that, right? Like your kids are always watching. Somebody's always watching you. So what kind of example are are we setting? That's the picture of discipleship. Constantly learning and constantly teaching. Constantly imitating and constantly setting an example for others to follow. When we are invested in the life of the church, the gathering of Christ's followers, because we are persuaded that Jesus is King. We're persuaded by that. And so we gather together and we begin to imitate one another We begin to imitate those things in your life that just scream out Jesus or the things in your life that just scream out Jesus. And I begin to add those to my life. My life begins to look and sound a whole lot like Jesus. And then as a result, my life becomes something that people can imitate as well. I become an example for for them and we end up sending the gospel to the world. That's God's plan. That's how it's designed. It's the cycle of discipleship. And so as we, As we close, as we respond, I just want you to think about what are you learning and what are you teaching? What are you learning and, and what are you teaching? Who are you imitating? And what example are you setting? Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday.